We're in the midst of our Bible study on the book of James, and this is lesson three. At this time, I'll turn it over to Mr. Mark McGarvey, who is conducting this study today. You hear me okay? All right. So, we are here for the third um, study, third week. This chapter in our study is called The Word That Goes to Work. Um, Debbie and David, do you guys have? Okay. Everybody have a book? You need one? I don't know if we have any spares. Check over here. I'm not sure. Um, okay. All right, could I have a volunteer to read the opening paragraph uh, here, please? If somebody could do that, we could uh, get the study going. And Doyle and Curtis have a microphone. Okay. You said on, we're on number three, is that right? Yes, yeah. Is this on? Yes. Human wisdom regularly produces proverbs. A stitch in time saves nine. A rolling stone gathers no moss, and so on. One of the proverbs I learned very early in life went like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think we boys at school used to chant it to one another as a response to a silly playground insult. But of course, that proverb is very misleading. You can recover from a broken leg or arm, but if someone smears your good name, if someone tells lies about you and other people believe them, it may be much, much harder. You may never get the job you want. People may never quite trust you. Friends, even family, may turn away. Words can be terrible things. They can leave lasting wounds. Thank you. Yeah, and I actually remember that one myself when I was a kid growing up in the 80s at school. And I, I probably used it myself. I remember other kids saying it too. But... When you read what he's saying, the context of it, it's true though, isn't it? Words can damage and hurt you. Words can go very deep. So let's just open this uh, section here. Oh, waiting for that bomb to drop. You hear it? Any second now. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's start with this here. What proverbs or common sayings have been a part of your family and culture? Now I will say growing up in a an Irish family, I grew up with a lot of Irish sayings and expressions, and some of them annoy my wife, as, as her expression shows now. One of the ones that we, um, I, used to, I used to hear all the time my parents would say, and other guys, and I worked on the construction site, I don't read it the, the wrong way, it's an expression, the crack was good. Now, but it's, it's spelled differently, C-R-A, with an accent over the I, and C. And the crack in Irish is having a good time, having a party, having fun. And that, that expression was used a lot. Oh, the crack, of, the crack was good in Cricklewood was an expression. There was a, the big dance hall in Cricklewood, and apparently a lot of Irish went there, and it was good. So, um, But anyway, anybody with any expressions or proverbs you grew up with that uh, you think are, are relevant to, to today? Yes, Bram. Curtis? You can catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Yeah. Larry? 
um, this is the question is whether it doesn't maybe always have to relate to what we're going what we're doing but anyway one that comes to my mind quite a bit is uh, we make the bed that we lay in and sometimes it's not very comfortable of course it's really the same thing as what is in the Bible that um, the I, I can't even bring it out about what we grow. Uh, I can't even bring it out. I'm sorry right now. Well, let, let's move on then to the... Uh, oh, one more? Okay, yeah, go ahead, Carolyn. My parents would always tell me, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Yeah, very true. And David? I mean, hook a line and sinker. Yeah. Very, very simple. You reap what you sow. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. And Rich? I'm going to follow up on Larry's and say um, if you sleep with the dogs, you're bound to pick up some of the fleas. Yeah. And on that note, we'll move on. All right. I'll read, uh, so today's study is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. So let's read that here. James chapter 1 and verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But he, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And that will conclude chapter 1. So let's get into it here with the first you know, uh, question here. Here, James introduces another of his key themes, the dangerous power of the human tongue. What clear directives does James give in verse 19? And I'll, I'll start by saying it's almost a, a directive to stand back and think about the trial or situation you're in, in a sense, is, it, it, is what I'm feeling. Don't speak or act rashly in the situation you're in. Use patience if it's possible and pray for God's spirit to help us out in, in this current predicament. Easily, easier said than done, obviously. Some, some, some situations are quick, they happen in two minutes and you're out of it. But uh, 
Again, what clear directives does James give in verse 19 with this, uh, the dangerous power of the human tongue? Bridge? I think it's evident from God's design that we've got two ears and one mouth. So we should listen much more so than we should speak. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think the idea of being quick to listen is the idea that it's supposed to be the most important thing. And uh, I mean, it's I've heard it said many times by people that if you want somebody's attention, learn how to listen to them. And then you'll be able to speak into their lives if you're able to listen first. So. Yeah, very good. Yeah. There's some wisdom in this. Uh, I'm reminded of a quote. I think Abraham Lincoln said it, and I don't know if I'm completely saying it right, but it goes along the lines of something, better to be, thought, better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yeah. And so there's some wisdom here. Uh, you can go back to the Proverbs, you can go back to the Psalms. And it's interesting that Jesus was quick to hear and slow to speak. I mean, we, he, he does a lot of speaking. He was a teacher. But he listened and observed a lot. There was a pattern with him. He heard, and for him, he was, you know, gifted beyond measure with the Spirit so he could discern their hearts just by, you know, uh, with that spirit, that, 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 commun- that, that being in with one, in the Holy Spirit with God the Father. But there's some wisdom there to, you know, there's some, pr- there's some practical wisdom that goes with this, and it kind of goes along with what Reggie says. Just look at the design of the human body with two, two ears and one, one mouth. So. Yeah, I, I think I've noticed that a lot with um, someone who is a good communicator. They are always good listeners. And listen to what has been said and then we'll put a, put, you know, a thought, good thoughts across. I remember President Bush being interviewed when I was when living in England just after we got married by an English journalist, Trevor McDonald, and I was really taken aback by how honest uh, W was, as he used to call him, but a great interview in the sense that he did put himself across very well and communicate very good and um, got across his points very well. Let, let's move on to the second question here because we are pressed for time, so I'd like to get through all the uh, 11 or 12, whatever it is here, if we can. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, so this kind of ties into the first one. How have you found these three directives? I guess if you go back to verse 19, you know, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. How have you found these three directives interrelated in your own experience? And I've been guilty of, of being slow to wrath at the wrong times when I should have been quicker to react in a certain situation. Um, getting angry later on when, you know, it was the wrong time. But uh, anybody uh, have any ideas on this? On these three directives? Yeah, Larry? Um. I think if you apply what he what he says, um, swift to hear, 
slow to speak and slow to wrath. Um, if you abide by, do do what he's, God's telling us to do, I think uh, you, you can avoid uh, a lot of serious problems that otherwise, if you let your carnality get the best of you, you're going, you can you can get serious bad unavoidable get you can get into serious problems real quick like but if you do what God says to do I think you can avoid that and I think if all the instruction God gives us we can't argue with it absolutely yeah we, we, if you're blessed with God's spirit like we are then you think oh yeah the Holy Spirit should come out and you, you should be perfect, but it's not that easier in this world, as we know. Yeah, Tyler. I think that when I was younger and more mature, <clears throat> I was too quick to speak, <clears throat> too quick to anger, too, didn't really watch my words good. And now as I get older, I kind of have the opposite problem where I don't know when to speak up and when not to, and sometimes I find myself like, I should have spoken up then, I should have calmly said, you know, stood up for what was right, and I think that I've gone the opposite approach now. I need to work on that and know when to speak. Yeah, Curtis, yeah. Three concepts have a, they do have an interrelationship. Interrela uh, a lot of times, if you think about it, uh, when you're not slow to anger, uh, it results in you being quick to speak. You know, it, there's a lot, you know, just going back to a practical, a practical standpoint, whenever you're in a situation where you're, you're slow to hear, you're not listening, you're quick to speak, you're not hearing someone out completely, and sometimes you know, your anger is the result of you not listening out about the situation that's you know, being told to you. And so I think there is an interrelationship. I think we can all agree that we've been in situations before where we've gotten angry quick on, about something, and then later we realized that that anger was misplaced because we didn't hear the, the entire situation. You know, we were quick to get to anger because we were quick to, and, and which resulted in us being quick to speak. And so we, we realized that we didn't hear out completely uh, the situation. And so we are left where we're having to admit that we were wrong. And of course, as it mentions, that anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And so there's, you know, it's, it, it's a human nature, I guess you would say. It's, and some of us are, have more of an inclination, I guess, to get angry or be a hothead than others. But definitely think that there is an interrelationship between these three concepts of uh, being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Yeah, I guess it's all part of building a, a Christ-like character at the end of the day. Yeah, Fram, you'd like to say something? Proverbs talks a lot about this, and one of the things, you know, our, our words can be like bullets. And it says, a friend offended is harder to win than a strong city. And sometimes when we speak out of anger, we can hurt people. And apologizing, you, that, you can't take that word back. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Let's go on to the... Uh Next question here, next point. Number three, in this passage we see a theme which many early Christian, early Christian writers emphasized, the danger of human anger. 
James has been emphasizing the need for patience. Anger is, of course, one of the things that happens when patience reaches its limit. We always imagine that when the world is out of joint, a bit of our own anger will put things straight. What results have you experienced when you try to make things right through your anger? Yeah. <laughs> Could have got us in trouble, huh? Yeah, David. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. I've been trying to cut back on my viewing uh, political statements, political shows. I have, for so many years, taken a particular right or left view of politics and I've gotten very offended, very angry because of the opposing views. I've got to the point recently, my wife and I decided, you know, we have watched this show, that show, that show, and they harass and they harangue and they talk about this problem and that problem. And we get angry and we we can't do a thing about it. And I tell somebody else about it on the other side that don't believe me, and they get mad at me. So I'm to the point that, and we've discussed this quite a bit lately, that God has prophesied a lot of the things that are happening in the Bible right now. And whether we are in a very, very end time or not, I don't know. But if we're not, we're pretty close. And Jesus said, when you see these things, look up. Your salvation draws near. So we're, we're trying to get less political and, and more godly and, 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 uh, and like the message Matthew gave last week, you know, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. you know, we've got enough on our plate every single day and not have to carry the burdens of everything that's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and, and watching any politician talk can be a headache, I know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Keith? Having dealt with uh, many children in my life, um, I've seen the dynamic of anger worked out with both me and my wife and how we've related to the kids, but in most cases, uh, anger that's done unrighteously or just out of like like you said losing your patience all it does is create self-defense in that person that you are trying to communicate with so you're not able to communicate any truth or any uh, encouragement or any help so it is simply losing your patience which is not what the kind of anger that you see our Messiah demonstrating when he did get angry I mean so there's a proper place for anger but it it's not the kind where you just lose your patience that's not the godly anger that we are to have, but we are definitely to get angry about things and then be able to uh, put that in action in a proper way. So, Yeah, it's easy to get caught up in the moment when you're in the middle of something. Um, you know, sometimes if you're having a conversation and the person gets angry or leave the wrong impression, it can, it can go south uh, pretty badly. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the next question here. Um, and this, it says, according to verses 20 and 21, what are we told to do to avoid the human anger that doesn't produce God's justice? Referring to verses 20 and 21. You know, verse 20 says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Verse 21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And, you know, receiving with meekness here basically comes down to, um, in my study Bible, it gives a, a brief description here, um, receive with meekness without resistance, uh, disputing or questioning the word of God in our heart, basically. Receive with meekness or humbleness, it could be also translated. Anybody? Yes, yeah, Steve? Um, it was interesting that I was thinking about this, uh, especially as we come into to God's way, we have to lay aside that nature that we had before, um, and we have to put on something different. I, I put a, a different nature, but then I got to thinking, we have to put on a different spirit. And the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in us gives us that ability to to be different. And so um, that's what I was just thinking. <laughs> I just wrote that down. A different nature, but a different spirit. Okay. Uh, yeah, Bonobus? To be a wristband that was popular and on it was the uh, acronym WWJD what would Jesus do so whenever you encounter some sort of of complaint or argument that's what should be foremost in your mind what would Jesus do what would he say how would he act and that might help uh, set aside a lot of the uh, troubles we run into by the words we say. Yeah, you, you, you have to hope that, not hope, but believe that the Holy Spirit can guide you and help you to, to speak the right words. Okay, let's move on. Um, question five. The way God works in us and through us is not by taking our nasty or malicious anger to somehow make things right. The way God works is, again, through his word. But how does this happen? Every generation in the church worries, rightly, about people who just glide along, seeming to enjoy what they hear in church, but without it making any real difference. Nominal Christians, we sometimes say. It is comforting, in a way, to know that James faced exactly the same problem in the very first generation. People who were happy to listen to the word, this presumably means both the teaching of the Old Testament and the message about Jesus, but who went away without it having affected them very much. Here he uses an interesting illustration. In his day, there were, of course, no photographs. Hardly anyone had their portrait painted. Not many people possessed mirrors either. So if you did happen to catch sight of yourself, you might well forget at once what you looked like. That's what it's like, says James, for some when they hear God's word. A quick glance. Oh, yes, they think. That's interesting. And then they forget it straight away and carry on as before. So when and why are you apt to just take a quick glance at the word? I thought that's a very interesting point he makes there about nobody having access. It's so commonplace for us to, today 
Mirrors are everywhere in our house, bathroom, whatever. How can you shave without having a mirror? It must have been very difficult back in the day. But so we know what we look like. We've seen photographs. We've seen movies of ourselves, home movies, and so on. But it's very interesting, isn't it? A quick glance at the word. When and why are you apt to just take a quick glance at the word? Yes. I was doing the U version uh, verse of the day on the Bible app. I did that for, I think, around three years. And then one morning I realized I was just, I was checking it first thing in the morning, but then it had become kind of just routine. And it, it's, they were starting to repeat the, the images. And it's, it's very valuable, but it was becoming sort of rote for me. And it's out of context. It's just the, the verse. And they would do like popular verses. So I quit doing that, and I've started doing this year, uh, reading through the Bible in a year, uh, because I just, I was given it that quick glance in the mornings and without anything really to tie to it. So that's how it happened for me. So I did something a little bit different this year. And it's not that I don't recommend the verse of the day, but after a while, you need something different. Well, yeah, and, and I found this myself being, you know, speaking, giving messages. You do. Sometimes you'll mention it yourself when you're going back to a verse. Like we, we glance over this message, but if you look at it, an interesting point comes down. And you think, oh, yeah, didn't see it, didn't see it that way before. <clears throat> yeah, Carolyn? I have found that reading like on a daily basis is one thing. But if there's a, an issue or something that's troubling you that you're praying for someone or something, the scripture that you're reading, even at random, comes to have meaning more so than if you're just on a daily read because you're searching for God's word for a problem or something. So... I think there's two types of reading, and we can kind of get used to the idea of, well, I'm going to read this chapter or that chapter tonight, but we need to probably not think of it as just our daily reading, but trying to get something completely from what we read. Yeah, and that's, that's why these Bible studies are so great, because we're going to go through the book of James. I mean, intense study, nine studies on the book of James. So we're going to go through and look at everything, and every verse will be looked at. Yeah, Keith. Yeah, I was just thinking, I had, didn't write this down, but uh, we do a, a little Bible study to kick off Sabbath every Friday night, and... I have the privilege of having John in there with me, but he reminds me of that idea that if you take the Word of God and say, this is his living Word, I mean, John is just hungry for the Word right now. He's kind of come into this, and it's really become almost new and fresh to him. And I think that will keep you from taking the quick glance if you realize this is your food. This is, this is what makes you into that person that, that the Lord wants you to be. So 
I mean, I've just, I think the quick glance is if you don't give the word, it's due what it is, so. Yes, John, yeah. Right here. Something uh, I come across this morning, I was looking on my television, I found a deal on Bible study. And uh, when they were talking about this Bible study, they, they emphasized that back in the time when the biblical days that we think of, there were, most of the people weren't able to read and understand, and if they wanted to read the Bible or read the Torah, they had to go to the synagogue to see it. It wasn't available. And how fortunate we are that well, if any time we want to read the Word of God, we can just pick up our Bibles. Or if we don't have a Bible, you can go out and buy a Bible. But these people, you know, they said that to have the scriptures and stuff, it would cost a year's wages for them. You know, and they said it'd be something like a hundred thousand dollars today, and yet we have the privilege of having this Bible right at our hands anytime we need it to look at, and and we can recall. Yeah, we are definitely blessed in this this day and age to have the Bible, even on uh, on our own cell phones. We can pull it up any verse, any time. Okay, I was gonna I was gonna move on. I'm actually going to kind of skip question six. I think we, question six and question four are the same thing, basically, um, for the sake of time. Question seven here, when have you been blessed by doing the word of God? Yeah, Steve. Well, it's interesting when we um, we follow the understanding that we come to through the Sabbath and the Holy Days and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and all of those things. It leads us to understanding the plan of God, which also gives us that blessing <clears throat> of understanding uh, our future. And um, so at least that's the way that I, I see it anyway. Yeah, and I think if we receive it with a teachable spirit, as, as the expression goes, um, when we help somebody out and be there for a friend in a, in a time of trouble, also, for example. Yeah, Larry? Um, I went through a very serious time, serious thing, event in my life. But anyway, the, the point I want to make is whenever you, you, you admit you're wrong, you... Um, you, you repent, do what God says to do. Um, <clears throat> there, he can do miraculous things, and it it happened in my life that I I admitted what I did wrong, and I'm still here talking to you because I could have been be been killed, and I even got compensated financially for for admitting my wrong. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I once, uh, when I went to a summer camp in Worldwide Days, there was a guy there who um, used to go up to sit up and take down every year, and he was a former SAS man and uh, killed men with his bare hands, but had been called by, by Jesus and uh, repented of everything and came into the church. That was 
probably 60, 70 years ago when he came into the church, and he's, he's probably dead now because he was an old man in the 80s, but, you know, Christ, Christ will call anybody. Yes, Curtis? Just kind of, just kind of going back to the question, uh, when have you been blessed by doing the Word of God? And I'm going to think of it more on a spiritual level, but just there's, there is a level of being able to lay down the worldly burdens by understanding God's truth, understanding the way that the Creator has set for us. And what I mean by that is, is that we live in a world where we have, you know, we have all these expectations. You know, this is what makes you successful. This is where you should want to get to and things like that. And so when you come into this way of life and you learn that, really, kind of going back to what we talked a little bit last week, it's all nothing. You know, nothing really that this life has to offer us, this world has to offer us, is, has any eternal value you're not going to take any of the possessions with you later. Uh, you know, a lot of the accolades that the world thinks are great and high and mighty really don't mean much. And so there's an inner peace that comes along with following God's word, knowing that there's this plan that, that, that we can be a part of and that God has invited us to be a part of. So there's an inner peace. There's a blessing that comes and you can just think of, whether it be the Sabbath, the Holy Days, there's a blessing that comes in that understanding. And there is a, a, you know, a growth that you achieve to where you are free, I guess you would say, from the burdens. I know a lot of people like to say, you know, <laughs> our tradition's legalistic and, you know, we have all the, you know, we're all, you know, we, we're in shackles because, you know, we, we uphold the law and things like that. But it's really the exact opposite. There's such a blessing in understanding the precepts of God, especially whenever we understand the spiritual side of them, that they all point towards this continual thread from the very beginning to the future of what God's doing. And, and, and there's this story that God's, you know, that's being played out, and there's this plan, and there's this culmination of this plan that God is leading us to, and we're a part of it, and it's an eternal. So there's a, to me, there's a blessing in following God's Word at many different levels, just the practical level. I mean, like, what, you know, you can say the precepts of God, I mean, you're just, there's practical benefits. You're going to, you know, benefit, you know, sometimes at work. You know, people are going to understand that you're a more trustworthy person. You can, you know, you're reliable. Uh, you know, you're going to stay out of trouble with the law. Now, we all understand there's persecution that can come upon us for our beliefs, but there's a, spirit, there's, a, there's a benefit to me of an inner peace and understanding of what my place is in this world, uh, the standard in which we're following after, which is Christ, and just being able to throw off those shackles of really what the, shackle, the true shackles are and the, the burden of this world and what the expectations are of this world. Yeah, good point about the standards, because the standards that Christ set are high, but they are achievable with the Holy Spirit. They really are. Now, for, again, for the sake of time, I'm going to, like Curtis did last week, I'm going to skip a few questions here. Let's go just to the last two questions, see if we can get those in before we wrap it up. If you want to bring in any other questions or answers for those, you can do so. But let's go to question 11. James doesn't immediately say what the remedy to the tongue is, but he says, in effect, all right, you want to follow in God's way? Here's how. There are people out there who, read, who need your help. 
And there is a messy world out there that will try to mess up all your life as well. Make sure you focus on the first and avoid the second. Good brief teaching, almost like a set of proverbs. Think about your life, the pace of it, the people you interact with, the activities you're involved in. What is one thing, or one change, sorry, you could make this week to help you focus more on those in need? What is one change you could make this week to help you focus more on those in need? An obvious thing that comes to mind is, is praying for those who are in need, praying for those that are sick and ill, bad health. Yes, Ram? It could be calling them. Um, it could be uh, finding, finding someone that has a need and then trying to fill that need. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, my, uh, my mother-in-law, you know, obviously my father-in-law died just uh, a month, uh, sorry, a few months ago. And uh, we tried to get together with the owner as often as we can and help her out. It, like I, said to my, like I said to my wife a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> I hope this never happens to me, but in the sense of, you know, when she goes home every night, or she's there by herself at 9, 10, 11 o'clock. You know, she's a widow now. She's by herself. How lonely must that be? I feel, I feel awful for her. It's horrible. When someone you've been, been with for the last, what, 55 years or so dies, you know, horrible. So... Yes, Art. Yeah, just follow up on what Fran said. Really, it's getting involved. It's really easy to throw money at any problem. You know, you can sit and write a write a check to John three sixteen and mail that off. It's it's getting involved in just some growth opportunities and understanding opportunities when you see exactly what some of the people are going through. Although you have to be pretty patient yourself to be able to understand them and sometimes to deal with some hard-headed attitudes, too. Yeah, all right. I guess you have to kind of step back from your own life and not be so consumed with your own life that you can't see others. I'll never forget when we went back to England when the kids were toddlers, we had a horrible journey getting to the feast. I remember it was, we got, our flight got canceled. I was like, one of those times. I saw some friends and I was like, I started telling her how horrible it was and I'm like, what about you? And she said, we're late because my husband had appendicitis. I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, so you have to step back and, and think about how others have lives. And it's not just you who has a hectic life who has um, stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very easy to get consumed by our own needs in this world, isn't it? Because there is so much going on with our, our work life and school life and, and everything else. We can forget or not think about other people that are really in, uh, in need. All right, let's move on to the final question, try and wrap things up here for today. So, question 12. James also reminds his readers in verse 27 that true devotions to God includes helping those in need, such as widows and orphans, and not being stained by the world. How do these two dimensions offer a balanced view of the Christian life? And I want to read a little insert in my study Bible, which I thought was was good for this. Uh, it says concerning verse uh, 27, 
To visit comes from the Greek word usually translated bishop, a person who oversees God's people. Orphans and widows were among the most unprotected and needy classes in ancient societies. Pure religion does not merely give material goods for the relief of the distracted, the distress, sorry, it also oversees their care. So how do these two, two dimensions offer a balanced view of the Christian life? Yes, Sarah. You can try to stay unstained from the world by just staying in and separating yourself and not exposing yourself to the world. But you can't do that at the same time as you're getting out and helping people. So that's where the balance comes in, or a balance. Yes, Larry? Um, aren't those, those two classes of people are the people that really need the help the most? Widows, orphans, aren't they the ones that need the help? I mean, if their husbands are dead and their parents or something, they're orphans, they're being left to fend for themselves. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're in there, but I mean, people who are have six months to live with cancer would be up there in my books too, but I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yes, Carolyn. It's like paying it forward. Uh, if you've been to a, a fast food line and suddenly you go up and your meal's been paid for by the person in front of you, it makes you feel there's hope, that there's love, that there's people who care and we need to shed that we need to spread it letting someone know that they're thought of cared for prayed for it it's a very positive thing in people's life to know that somebody cares so i think that is one way that you can pay something forward, especially in this world with a lot of negative that we see. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you help others, you can help yourself spiritually, in a sense. If we let Christ in, we must also let him out by our actions and, our, and the way we lead our life, what we say. Yes, Wayne. Uh, yeah, Mark. I, uh, this question was really interesting to me. I wrote down a statement here that I came up with. I'll just read it to you all. And this is on dealing with the widows and orphans of the world. And I think James is trying to tell us this is how we are to deal with the downtrodden and the economically oppressed people of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Curtis. When I look at this passage, I can't help but think of some of the context of the first century uh, world, especially when it comes to religion and to the, you know, when it comes to the religion of the, the aristocratic Jews, the Sanhedrin, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And so when we look at this, James says, you know, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father, God, God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their, in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And so much when we see Jesus encountered this, you know, the, the religious leaders, it was so 
focused on what they look like. Their, their emphasis on, you know, being religious in front of everybody. Like they were, you know, the most righteous and they followed the law the best. And Jesus had some scathing things to say to these religious leaders. Talked about how they, they were like whitewashed tombs. You know, they were, you know, full of guile on the inside. And so when I look at this contextually, it's interesting that the, the, those individuals, those religious leaders that Jesus combated with, that basically accused of being empty, you know, they would walk around and be like, hey, you know, we got Abraham as our, fa- our father. Like, that's, we're Israelites. Like, that's, we're the chosen people. Like, God's already predicted he has to work through us. And they relied on their heritage. And, of course, they relied on their positions and, you know, what group they were a part of. And in that way they were completely characteristic of the world. One of the main characteristics of the world is pride and self-righteousness. And so, to me, when I see James say this, and, and on the flip side, what Jesus constantly says is that you're, you know, you don't even lift a finger. You know, you say all these different things, and, you know, you neglect the, the, the needy, the, the most vulnerable people of the world, like the fatherless, the, the orphans, the, the widows. And you focus on these things that make you look so great and so righteous and so religious and you want everyone to look up to you. And so what I see James saying is, is that you need to put that off. Don't be like that. You know, true religion, true and pure religion are those like Jesus who focus on the vulnerable, the, pe- the very people he came to. And keeping yourself unspotted from the world like the worldly religions which those religious leaders had made Judaism, and of course not completely, but those individuals at the top, like any human nature, those individuals at the top turn their religion into just another worldly religion. And so I think that he's trying to get them to understand that true and undefiled religion is not just about how righteous you look, the group you're in, but truly living a life that proves that that living word is inside you, changing you, which is going to make you be like Jesus and focus on those who are most in need. Uh, and, 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 and when you do those things, when you are visiting the, the, the widows, the orphans, you're demonstrating a selflessness that Jesus, our Savior, demonstrated to all of us. Right. Well said. Yes. Um, I think this is probably back more on the previous point, but don't turn away because people in need are hard. <laughs> They're hard to, it's not easy to look at someone and to be around someone who's grieving. That's, it makes us sad. It's, it's hard. Um, it's not easy to be around someone who's sick. People who are in need are not always fun people to be around. And sometimes we don't think we can help. We don't, we'll say the wrong thing. We'll do the wrong thing. I can't help. But it's important to not ignore the people. Don't turn away because it's too much for you because it's not easy. All right. Exactly. And as we, as we always, we've said a few times today, in this world, it is hard to do a lot of these things. But as the scripture says, stand out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. So if we do think about what we say, control our tongues, we can be a better example of, of a Christian. Well, let's, let's uh, yeah, David. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, I'm not a, a, a widow nor an orphan, 
but I do want to commend the brethren in the church for the things that they've done. They're, you know, this congregation is, has done what, what James has said and beyond that. You know, Fred and I both have been recipients of, of things throughout this year. We both have had <laughs> surgeries and downtimes and all that. And, you know, it's just such a warm, warm feeling to, to be a part of this group that will call, will send cards, will bring food, even bring a bottle of Canada uh, Dry, you know, for my upset stomach. You know, we are so, so, so privileged to be a part of this congregation. And I thank God every day for all of you. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you want to say something, Doyle? No? Okay. All right. Well, let, let's wrap it up there. We're, we're at 2 o'clock. So let's just finish it up with a, a, a quick prayer. So thank you, God, for bringing us here to, together today for this study third lesson. Uh, we look forward to it every week. We look forward to next week's study and we just pray that you can uh, fill us with your love with the grace. Help us to have patience. Help us to indeed bridle our tongue when we do think about, stop and think about the situations we're in. But help us, guide us. Let your spirit be strong in us. and Help us to be better examples of you and ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So pray that you'll lead us and continue to teach us these, these lessons from the book of James and we look forward to the next one. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.